It's a hit. It's up there. It's high. It's there. It's gone. There you go. Alex Tribbins has won the World Series and won the World Series. Thank you. Thank you. Today, today, thank you. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel like, right. like, 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 right. like the most Alex, 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 Simmons, Simmons, kind of guy, guy, guy in the world, world, world. Alex Simmons, hello, it's preseason baseball time, and we are here. Yes, we are. We're not out. Damn story, Alex Simmons, Chris Ryan, reporter for duty. How are you, Alex? I am fine, hunky dory, and how are you, good sir? Doing okay. I'm doing the best I can. You know how it is. Yeah, sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. In this, in this very interesting world of ours. Yes. Oh, yes. It is interesting. You know what they they say about that phrase? You know, may we live in interesting times. Uh, this is a little more interesting than I'd planned. So yeah, that's, you more- know, the, the the thing about that phrase is that it's not a compliment or a blessing. Yeah. That's a curse. Yeah. And uh, we cursed right now, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's intense. It is intense, folks. It, going it, through. It, yeah, yeah. Every you know, it's funny. It's I intense. was, uh, you know, with what's in the news lately, I pulled out this bad boy. Look at how fat that is. Uh-oh. If you're watching in the videos, that's 1,430, almost 40 pages of Stephen King that's called The Stand. Yeah, he wrote and, that over a weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> you know, he he had a, he had a kind of a flu, and he wasn't feeling that good. So he only right. did almost fifteen hundred words. Um, you know, this is his legendary post-apocalypse. You know, and it happens after the apocalypse has, has killed most of the people, and the apocalypse was a runaway strain of flu. So yeah, 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 yeah. Not making light of it at all, but I can't, I can't walk into my den without looking and seeing where that book is and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that book's from the 70s, but yeah, everything that is old is become a new Hachu again. Yeah, 1984's, you know, is another one of those books that every now and then you go, okay, did you travel into the future and check everything out and then come back and write the book? Uh, yeah, it's true. It, it's it true. causes you to think, you know, but thinking is is something we're supposed to be doing. Uh, the one thing I don't want any of this to do is cause us not to do anything, because uh, I right. think that that's a that's a big plague in and of itself, uh, politically, well, I, I, professionally, whatever. I, I think the only response to the outside wackiness, you know, that is happening on, on all levels, and I'm using that word to consciously to try and be a little more upbeat than you know, may seem appropriate, whatever, but, you know, on the world level with coronavirus, of course, and and just everyone's having, it seems like everyone is having trouble with their governments, and, you know, now the you know, stock market is plunging, and where that where is that going to take us, and questions we have with so many other aspects of life. You know, I think the the uh, creative life becomes more of a sacred calling at the worst of times. I don't know that we're at the worst of times now, but things have definitely took, taken a turn for the twilight zone, you know, and um, uh, the best response is, is to be creative about it. You well, know? To, be, to be creative, be proactive, to, to, this is when you need your, your, your mental and creative juices flowing even stronger. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was, <clears throat> pardon me, I was, I was talking with a couple of uh, creatives that I know, uh, and they're, you know, they have a great professional life. So, you know, on, on certain levels, there are challenges they're not dealing with. But they were also very much, oh my God, this is this, this is this is terrible, and this is horrible, and I give up, I give up, I give up. And I said, you know, all of us are parents, and uh, the the one thing I don't think any of us can afford to do is give up. In which case, what did we just? Right. Leave? kids okay what 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 are, what are we leaving them what are we saying to them all of that the other thing is i keep you know i, I keep saying you know i keep looking back on <clears throat> the reality of my childhood and this is actually folks believe me this is going to get to you know writing and all that we're, we're we're talking about creatives because again what we go through what we experience what we see all of those things affect what we create 
So my childhood. Well, I, I remember you had a tough time when you were eight and Noah and the boat and all that. But, you yeah, know. Thank, thank, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> The elephants, in particular, were a real problem. But <laughs> at night, sleeping next to a rhino... Push them up! Push them up! you got to be really careful where you lie when you're next to a rhino. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the, the thing of it is, uh, we went through, you know, the, 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 the actual exercises in school to prepare in case they dropped the bomb. So you've got, you know, right. schools across America, thousands of little kids crawling under the desk and tucking their head between their knees and their butts in the air because this would protect us from. So, you know, there, there, there are those scary moments in our lives due to, you know, situations we have no control over. And we have to sort of... Well, you know, school tests were made better back then, right? Yeah, well, that, that <laughs> I guess, tan butts, or in my case, for tan butts, would, would have saved us or been comical when historians dug us up later. Uh, why are all these oh, people yeah. butts up? I don't know. It might have been a ritual. Maybe they were praying to their gods. You know. But either way, uh, we've we've seen dark times. We've been through dark times. Uh, you know, and actually, I'm going to different phrase. We've been through challenging times. We've been through bad times. I'm going to keep referring to them as dark. And you know, here we are dealing with some challenges now. Sincerely, folks. Sincerely, when we say creatives, you know, start your engines. It is really about not only distracting us for a moment with something that you write or create, but it's also about teaching us, opening our eyes, keeping up our faith, um, any number yeah. of other things that this kind of work does. So, yeah. cool. And it and does teach us a lesson. I'm going to let you take over in a second. I'm just going to say it does, by going through these things in our real lives, it, it, and it affects our creative lives, it teaches us certain lessons. What were you going to say, Chris? Well, I, I also, a, um, there's an opportunity to be creative in in your daily lives as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, the goddess and I. Ah, the goddess, the wonderful goddess. Well, what a woman, God bless her. Uh, we celebrated our 33 and a third wedding anniversary. Uh, it didn't okay. cost us a penny. Yeah. We married for last night, the way we figured out the math, we were married for. Uh, 33 and a third years. So we uh, bought an LP. Stayed home. We stayed home and we we played. You know, I've been picking up some vinyl in the last two years or so. What I say, and, folks, an LP. Uh, we just, record, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just we just picked up. You know, I'll play one that you played one. And that was a lot of music. You know, I was finishing a story. We were talking. We were doing some. You know, relaxing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it was a cool little, like, you know, mutual dedication thing that, you know, we're going to play some of the stuff that we listened to when we first, you know, met and first got together. We played, uh, I think we played it twice back to back. U2's fourth album, The Unforgettable Fire, which was the tour they were on the night I met the goddess. Uh, she was just a wee thing back then, but, she, you know, <laughs> she was a godling. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, so, you know, it doesn't cost anything and you can just celebrate each other a little bit, you know, um, another thing, you know, especially in times like this where that rejuvenate, mm -hmm. there was another rejuvenation, um, I got it. I'll just, I got to show the cover, even though we're usually just audio. Uh, uh, this came in for me from oh. the library. Yes, this Trouble is one of my all-time heroes. Walter Mosley. what I do. Yes. Walter effing Mosley, baby. Um, if you don't know him out there and you like crime and mystery, then go and find out because yes. there's uh, no, a whole shelf up there of Walter Mosley. And um, this character is uh, like three or four novels in, and I think this might be the best uh, outing so far. Uh, but yeah, you know, Trouble is what I My did. spirit lifted when I saw that book the way it used to when I would run in as a kid to the comic book or the candy, the candy store. Yeah. I would have uh, I would have five dollars from my one of my I had a couple of jobs as a kid and uh, you could buy 25 comics. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Five dollars. 
back you know, in the day. Candy, yeah. Comics, comics. Yeah, and and yeah. you'd buy a stack of them, and it just you know whatever you some people go for it for, and that's what like oh my god that's so thrilling for them, and some people whatever I know, a guy it's old movies sort of stuff whatever it is you know these are the things that got us through the other times these are the things that'll help us get through these times. Don't get indulge yourself in a little fun, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> indulge right, yeah, it's funny because you and again we're part of what today's show is about, folks, is you know, we should give you an idea what you're in for, is we're we're gonna be talking about sharing, we're gonna be sharing rather, uh, some of the more difficult creative times we've had doing the process. Actually starting working through and, and in, in a couple of cases, in one case uh, finishing and in another case not finishing or not completing what was the, the, the overall goal. Um, and what, you, what it feels like and what you do with that and what, some of, you know, what we did with our particular challenges. Um, but one of the things, you mentioned Walter Mosley, which you know, a lot of his stuff I enjoyed. And for those of you who, who only go to see movies, uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, Denzel Washington. So if you're a Denzel Washington fan, mystery movie fan, that's one of Mosley's. Um, but what I was going to say is the, during a really yeah, easy, easy Rollins mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Easy Rollins, the name of the character. Right. Uh, one of, one of the things I was going to say is the, you talked about Mosley's book and, and the book that got me through a really bad time was a, was a, a Lawrence Saunders mystery novel, uh, called the 10 commandments. And, uh, I've read, reread that several times over the years, because it was years ago that I was going through this particularly difficult situation. And what I read was, <laughs> I don't know quite what's going on, folks. Chris uh, lost it. He's laughing hysterically. He's got his hands over his mouth. I'm trying real hard to not say, oh, Ten Commandments. Yeah, you read them when they first came out, you know, in tablet form. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Yes, once again, once again, seniority. My years of experience are put to the, put to the pavement as, as the pause fly. Okay, okay, that's all right, young young whippersnapper. Anyway, um, uh, you keep soft tossing them towards me, man. What do you want yeah, me to do? Oh, what can I say? What you do? <laughs> but I'm um, Oh, uh, God. Anyway, I'm so sorry, but Sanders Sanders book got me through some some difficult times, and I've reread it several times, and and each time I feel like I'm going back to visit friends, and the situation seems even even though I know what's going to happen, the situation seems even more enjoyable, more com not more complicated, but but uh, more comforting in a way, and it's interesting. Our emotions that are attached to, or the emotions that we attach to creating or receiving created works. Uh, can be very much like meeting or visiting or revisiting people that we know or old friends or going back to a place that had some sort of significant meaning to us and we, we go through those feelings. And yet, yes, we're looking at a book or we're watching a movie or we're playing a particular song that touch mm -hmm. sure. those key points, that touch those, those nerves or whatever and remind us, they say that sm smell is the strongest uh, stimulant to recall. And I, I won't debate that, but I will say that, you know, I think sounds sometimes, uh, you know, hearing something triggers and certainly seeing something triggers. And what, I, what I'm gonna share in this today's episode is um, how, what I was dealing with at that time on a personal level, how it affected my work and how what happened with that work affected my sense of self as a writer for a number of years. So, um, and Chris, I don't know what the piece that you're going to share, how, how will that, you know, what will that sort of share or demonstrate for the folks? Well, um, two, two different things. One, um, you know, you had uh, told me at the time that uh, what we write about is attracted to us. You know, it's kind of a writer's version of, you know, if you look into the abyss, the abyss looks back, right? Mm. But 
Um, I looked into or wrote some dark stuff with City of Woe, and uh, dark stuff came calling. Mm. And uh, it took uh, advice and uh, a person called and um, some uh, sweat lodge prayers. Mm. Um, all, all of that to get me out through the other side, which is fascinating. Um, and some people believe it happened, and some people don't. What are you going to do, right? Yeah. Uh, but whatever's going on in your head, that, that's pretty real, you know? Yeah. And the second thing is about, you know, a different and more uh, grounded section of the book came in after the first two or three drafts were done. And uh, my father passed, and it, the reality of that would not let me be. And for some reason, it kept getting tied to the book I was working on. And uh, eventually, I had to talk to the family about that. So I'll talk about those two things. Okay. Coming up. Yes. <laughs> right after a word from our sponsor, Mickey Mouse. Well, no. and, and I guess, you know, the idea is rather than an exact um, technique this week, the you know, get your right on is going to be about the toll it takes, you know, mm. and uh, we hope that that helps writers who are uh, paying the toll now, you know. I, so I want to hear one of the notes you sent uh, in preparation for this was that you said this kind of became your Moriarty. My Moriarty, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear some more about that, bro. Well, you know, for those who, who, who aren't Sherlock fans, and, and even for those who, who, who are, um, Moriarty was his ultimate arch enemy, not so much because of the things that Moriarty did, but because of the genius behind his operations and the various things that he did. He was Holmes's equal in terms of Machiavellian plots and unraveling this and setting things in motion that sort of dominoed and affected hundreds of other things. And it was a real challenge. It was almost like going up against yourself for Holmes in a way, because, you know, you're meeting uh, a mindset that literally is your equal or greater. It's stronger. And but it's on the opposite side of you of where you want to be or where you think you want to be. Um, I was and this is going back some years and I will leave certain details out because, you know, you don't get you don't get permission to say certain things. But um I was at a, a really interesting point in my life, and it looked like like doors were opening up, and the world was starting to say, geez, you really are talented, and you know what? You've been doing this much for so long. We're giving you this huge opportunity, baby. Go for it. It's yours. And so to clarify that a bit, I've been working uh, with a company that um, was what was called a book packager, uh, not meaning that we wrapped up books and sent them places, but that we produced stories for various publishers. So a publisher would say, oh, we want a series about this, you know, in, in particular, let's say, uh, mysteries, because that's part of what we're talking about. But let's say that, you know, the mystery series for a certain age group, blah, 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 blah. And we would work with writers and come up with uh, the writer for it, a concept, plots, and, and then produce actual scripts that would go to the editors at these publishing houses. They would give it yay or nay, work, 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 eventually it's produced, they publish it under their banner. So literally, I'm in the creative world here, and initially I'm starting off as sort of an editorial assistant, and then I'm an idea man, and then eventually I started actually plotting for a lot of people, and then writing myself, and this all was in, within like two years, this stuff started happening. So by like the third or fourth year, I'm really, I'm, I'm just so in the zone, and I'm just having such a great time, and I... I get this remarkable opportunity to to do a book, a, actually to do a three book series um, about urban kids in this fantastic scenario, this fantastic science fiction scenario. I mean, the ideas were there, the characters were in my head, everything was there, and here comes someone who says, "Hell, we'll publish that. We'll pay you to do it." And I had two kids right at that point, uh, two boys that were, um, you know, had been in the world for a couple of years here and there. And so they were young, young 
sort of not quite toddlers, they're a little older than that. And then we, they're about six or so, six or so. And just as I start writing this, and now you got to understand, folks, just, just to be clear, and Chris is hearing this story this way for the first time. Uh, much of my experience up until that point in terms of writing and the volume and the material, uh, maybe a 180 page book, you know, maybe that, um, maybe comics, you know, a couple of comics here and there for uh, indies and then eventually for, for uh, DC. But um, um, uh, a three issue, a three issue, a three, a three book deal. It's a real novel that's, you know, really sizable was, was the first, I was the first time I was stepping into that arena. And as the opportunity is standing before me, you know, the door is open. There's no, there's no, there's no, no guard at the door. I'm, I can walk right in and I can do this. And I have this fully fleshed out idea and I start writing and I'm writing in a style that I'm enjoying. So, you know, where's the downside here? And as I get into the story more and more, this first book, things started in my, in my life. They seemed to start getting more and more difficult. You know, there were, there were financial problems. There was, uh, you know, some, when I say personal problems, I just mean there was challenges on a personal level I'm trying to take care of the family, trying to deal with this, deal with that. And then somewhere in there, and I didn't hear it that way then, but somewhere in there, I'm hearing this, this little voice in my head that's going, you know, this is really too much for me. You, you, you can't, I mean, you never really, you've never done a book this size. You, you con these people into thinking blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, well, wait, consciously, I've, I've, I talked it through, yes. But then I wrote a plot for each book. I did character bio. So I know these characters fairly well. And as I'm writing, I'm discovering them. I'm, you know, I'm learning little things about them, which is making them more real to me. They're fleshing out really mm -hmm. nicely. The circumstances that I'm working on page by page seem to make sense in alignment with the, the outline that I did. So what, what is this about I don't know what I'm doing? Or what is this that I can't do it? And that was logic speaking, and logic is logical, but everything just seemed to be, nah, this is, you, you just talked yourself into way over your head, there's no way. This that, was, that was the evil editor talking to you. Well, it's, it's the editor, but you also find, and, and again, I, I speak, I'm speaking about my personal experience, but I know from life that others have gone through this, and, and quite often creatives, if we've had any, any sort of doubt about our ability, if there's been a little gnome or a little goblin under the bridge in our lives when we were kids, you know, whether it was because of things that were said to us or our own, our own you know, inner demons, those suckers wait for moments like this. And, mm -hmm. and there, sure. you are, there you are in unknown territory. It appears to be friendly territory. You appear to be able to navigate this territory. And then you start, the gnomes start coming out from under the bridge. They, they just start that. You know, I'm using the metaphor, but I mean, really, it, it's, it is an amazing experience that you've done your, your physical and your structural work. You have moved along the creative process in the manner so, that you were taught or you were supposed to. You are theoretically in a good place because the work is happening. I haven't hit a block yet, understand? I haven't hit a writer's block yet. So where is this coming from? But it kept coming. And so the things that were happening in my personal life that were picking at me, you know, little, little, little pecks in the, in the ankles, those things were only reaffirming that, yeah, you ain't got it together. This is, this is too much. This is too much. So, so how did you comp comp uh, combat it? Well, the thing is, you know, you, you combat it with, and, and again, I'm, I'm sharing this for the reason of sometimes this is how it goes. You keep pushing to get the work done. You keep pushing, trying to push the voices back, push the work out. And so sometimes it is like, I think you used the metaphor earlier, it is like pulling an impacted tooth with no Novocaine, 
and a pair mm-hmm. of cheap pliers. It, yeah. it, it is like Robert De Niro and Ronan, you know, you're lying there and the guy is digging through your chest to pull out a bullet. And all you've done is taken a couple of swigs of booze and poured some of that over the wound. I mean, I'm sorry, I'd be screaming and I would faint or whatever. I know this because pain is pain. And that kind of pain must be excruciating. But, you know, you can take it up. So here I am doing my, my Ronin impression and pushing myself, pushing myself just to keep going, just to keep going, just to keep going. And unfortunately, what is happening is the work that I'm pushing out is happening slower and slower. And it is feeding the gnome who's saying, well, that's not quality work. You know, you're just you're just throwing stuff there on the page, but that's not your best. Yeah. That's not it. That's not it. And so when you get to you that, you can't you can't listen to those guys. Right. You can't. You shouldn't. And and what happens is you deal with that, and you 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 find ways to breathe and to give yourself permission to be scared and to give yourself permission to, as you like to say, uh, let it be bad, let it be crap. You know, whatever yeah. it is. Let it suck. Let, Let it, it suck, suck, right. And then you know? make it suck less. That's the, and you that's get the two it step. It, it, took, it took the longest time to get through that first manuscript. And, yeah. you know, to see it at the end, to see the characters and to see the situations and to see, the, the, the again, the, the style of writing that I had, I had utilized for this, to see it finally in over 300 and... I think it was 370 pages, you know, to hold it in your hands is, is an incredible feeling. And at the same time, you know, you know what you just went through to, to make that happen. And you're thinking, my God, I can, can I do this again? Remember, it was a three book deal. So, you know, it's, it's doubt, doubt is, doubt is really a demon. You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes a hydra depending. And, Developing methodologies. I mean, over the years, I've encountered similar situations, but not as bad. Thank you very much. Uh, but understanding what doubt does, how it impedes you, how it removes your trust of self. Uh, or if you're new to this, if you're new to writing or new to choreo- uh, choreographing or new to whatever the creative process is, it sets up a wall. And you're going, oh, God, I, I just, I, there's no way I can. I've never done this before. I go, and then it's about, at least for me over the years, it's been about uh, not only, you know, trying to psych yourself into giving yourself, um, like, say that you'll write for 20 minutes, giving yourself certain uh, markers to hit along the way to just keep getting the work out. But the other thing is, is to share it, is to let someone you trust and know be aware of what you're dealing with, to share that that's what's happening, and having sort of an accountability buddy, having somebody who is a, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about this. Let me read such and such, you know, you're doing fine. You're getting, it's, it's, it's more than a coach because they're going to share some of their tribulations with you. But the reality is you're not alone. It doesn't suck as bad as you think it does, or if it sucks at all, but nevertheless, you want somebody who's going to be honest with you. It's not going to be just patting you on the back and saying, yes, sweetheart, it's all great. You want somebody who's going to help you face that, that gremlin, that, that gnome, that, that goblin, whatever, and kick it in the gnarls. Yeah. <laughs> really, because- uh, yeah. I mean, you might have a, yes, sweetie, that's great, as the first step. That, you know, shines a little bit of light on the darkness. And then you get that trusted voice that will, you know, like it and just show you a few typos. And then you get to that next level of someone who is going to really talk to you about the work and about the, you know, and all of a sudden you're out of the darkness, you know, the whole idea is to chip away at it. And if you're in the darkness and if you, you know, uh, you're the, the editor has gotten the upper hand, then you just cut the deal. I'm going to write for a half an hour and you shut up and then we'll go for a walk and you could complain all you want, you know, and otherwise, if you start talking while I'm writing, I'm just going to tell you to f off, and and you know you're, it's allowed. You're you're a creative. You're allowed to be crazy. Um, but 
that process, you know, I've never forgotten uh, Richard Price didn't need to talk to me at all. He was an established writer and, you know, I was asked to sit next to him until it was his time uh, at this thing. And he gave me some great piece of advice is ultimately it's about putting the butt in the chair and doing the work. And that is lonely and you do get full of doubt. You just, what the key is, you keep going, putting that butt in the chair. And now we stand it, right? But, yeah. you know. Uh, but it's spreading. Just we're doing the work. Just yeah. work every day. He didn't say it had to be good every day. And none of them do. None of the writers that are worth their salt will tell you it has to be good every day. They're just saying, write every day. Because mm -hmm. the rest of it will work out. You know? But I think also we, um, we need to acknowledge that for some people, you know, for some, and it, please, folks, it's it's real, and you can get through it. For some, they they just get to a place where they're afraid to put even that first word down, and so for that, I would say, look, it's not about. It, it is about. I know you're wrestling with that editor, you're wrestling with that doubt, but the thing is, you you just got to give yourself permission to write even a sentence. You you've got to crack the dam a little bit, because that's really a part of it, that fear that whatever I write is not going to just write. And again, I know and that. You I, know what? If, if you're really in that, if you're really in that, everything I write is going to be terrible, then that's your first sentence. Okay, everything I'm going to write today is terrible, and it's going to suck, and here we go. Yep. And then fine, you know you're gonna, it's going to suck today, and you just keep writing. And then that'll fade away and you'll follow the story, you know. And again, a lot of this stuff that people talk about, you know, uh, I'm not denying it. I'm not saying poo-poo to it. But when I talk to the people and I ask them, tell me about your character. And they say, well, I don't really know. Or they're wishy-washy about it. Well, take that. I always suggest fill out that profile. Ask yourself some questions about that. Go take yourself for a walk, go shopping. Go to Stu Leonard's, because that's like an acid trip. That place is crazy. And <laughs> and while you're going there, talk about your character. What would the character enjoy? What would the character not enjoy? And all that stuff. And you know more and more about your character. And you'll find that it, uh, it eases the writer, you know? Um, yeah. But, you know, just just write, write. If it has to be bullet points, write the bullet points. If it has to be, you know, here's a dialogue. And this, I know the first 10 lines I'm not going to use, but let's go. It doesn't make a and difference. That's, that's another as thing. As long as you're getting in there. Some of, the, some of the, the, the difficulty in writing, especially if you're writing a book, some of the difficulty is in writing all of the descriptive around the actions that are occurring at that time. So write the dialogue. <laughs> just, just write what your character. Well, I got a cure for that too. I don't write a lot of descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, Chris. Right. <laughs> the, the thing of it is, again, take was well, it? There's, you know, there's, I don't. There's an old Estian phrase: "Is ride the horse in the direction it's going." Um, not that I'm an Estian, mm -hmm. but I knew the phrase. The reality is, if there's something you can write, then write that. You know, just like you were saying, mm -hmm. write the sentence that said, yeah, this is going to suck. And I'm like, fine, if that's what if that gets you out there rolling. But the other thing, too, is if you can't you can't describe what they're wearing, you can't describe the room, you can't describe the meal, you can't describe the day. What the hell are they talking about? Why are we there? Do that mm -hmm. Do the dialogue. You can always go back mm -hmm. in time and figure out what you want to put around that. And that's yeah. still talking first, second, you know, drafts, third draft. Yeah. There's no there's nothing that says. There's no law that says, in most of the creative writing that people do, that the first lines have to be perfect. The first version has to be perfect. The only people who say that are the people trying to write. You know, every word out of or my the people who are must be perfect. Yeah, you know, or the yeah. people who don't write but want to tell you how to write. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? We're not even talking about those folks right You're now. telling yourself the story. It doesn't have to be perfect. Let us uh, get it out there. And then it's so much easier to go back and say, this sucks. Okay, ask the next question. Why? Oh, because I suck is the wrong answer. Work the story. Serve the story. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the story. And as your personal life will be influencing you, you still map out a time for you 
to write or to create. Yep. If, it's, if it's 10 minutes, if it's 20 minutes, if it's while you're on the subway or wherever you're traveling to, you do this thing with uh, a recorder in the car when you're driving someplace and you're speaking it into the air and it records whatever mm -hmm. it is. I do, I do with Google Doc. I, I will, because mm -hmm. it has a little microphone, you can, you can actually dictate to it. It comes up with some interesting words when you know based on what it thinks. Yeah, it does. It does. Right. But besides that, you're well, able let to me through. Yeah. Well, let's go a little further. Let's He's leaning into the camera, by the way, when he says that. Let yeah. me tell you a horror story about when I started writing, uh, and it started writing me right back. Oh jeez! So, yeah, bro. And you know what? Um, there's a million reasons why it it happened, and it's not real. You know, uh, the twins were small, and they got up at a couple of different hours, and I got up when they weren't up to write. So maybe I was overtired. Mm. Maybe I was, uh, you know trying to do a like a really full-time writing gig after a full-time job and with kids, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. I don't know. Um, the other explanation is the one that you said, you know, when you, whatever you write is drawn to you. And I was writing uh, City of Woe, which is, it deals a lot with um, Supernatural. Now in the draft that it's in, it's very, very grounded. And the supernatural is almost a backdrop, almost a um, a possibility, you know. And I wanted it to go that way for. But while I was deep into it, I was reading version after version of uh, different translations of Dante's Inferno, and you know, watching supernatural materials and looking at supernatural materials. And there's a couple of books, you know. It's funny. I have this very pragmatic genius that was in my class years ago and I told her this story one time and she said, you know, Mr. Ryan, the books you're talking about, they're books. <laughs> <laughs> she says, just ink and paper. And she was a, a religious uh, grad student. She had been studying at Yale and Harvard and all that sort of stuff. So, it was, you know, and she was deep into it and she had the, the beatific, the, um, the uh, biblical holy uh, uh, positivity, which was really cool. But there are a couple of um, books on possession um, and exorcism stuff that have a reputation to them. Yeah, yeah. You know? But she was your scully. If, uh, if, uh, she, she was eventually. It was after the darkness. I got now the other way. But... Um, if you buy into the, the hype and if you buy into whether it's conspiracy or whether it's, you know, all the darkness, well, then you're going to live in darkness. And that's part of what I did, uh, knowingly or not, you know. So in this book, weird shit, obviously, but weird stuff happens. But two or three of the things weird things that happen in the book happened in my outside life first. And then I was like, well, you know what? I'm putting it in there. You know, early in the book's development, I was in grad school in Rutgers, New York for uh, creative writing. And I had this great creative writing teacher and uh, I decided every exercise she gave me, um, I was going to write something about or for the book, even if I never used it, you know? Um, so it was even, you know, so yeah, I, was, I had the kids, the day job, grad school, and writing a novel at the same time. Good job, Chris. You're planning. Um, so when the dark, you know, when the, the novel, you know, it is a very modern retelling or a modern echo, I think is a better way of saying it, of Dante's Inferno. So the characters go deeper and deeper into Manhattan, you know, they way up north and they go deeper and deeper into Manhattan but they also go deeper deeper into whatever this case is they're doing and things get darker and darker and it started affecting me so I made sure it started affecting one of, at least one of the main characters and um, 
this bulldog that I had never seen in the neighborhood before uh, came running towards the uh, the front yard when I was playing catch with your godson. Uh, way when he was still small enough to pick up, and uh, in my mental state, or if it really happened, it happened, you know. But in my interpretation, you know, it looked like this bulldog was gonna uh, attack my son, and I reacted accordingly, freaking the goddess out completely. And then I turned around and yelled into the face of a bulldog. Which is- <laughs> It's wow. not, you know, it's, yeah. it, you know, Bull maybe, maybe that's a good, good uh, anecdote to talk about. Hey, the merits of sleep. Um, but the dog ran, you know, turned around, ran away and stopped at the corner of my uh, uh, property and left me a gift. And then off he went. And I didn't see or hear about him for years. It turns out he did live up the block somewhere, but uh, was hardly ever allowed out of the house. And now we know why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The goddess was actually attacked by a cat, which that sequence of weirdness, uh, really, really weirdness. Because when I ran up to, to see what was going on and to help her, uh, the cat's mouth was open so wide that, and it could have been that I was half asleep or this or that, the other thing, but um, it looked unnatural. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have a choice. What do you do with it? I chose to roll with it and uh one of my buddies got worried and he took me to um sweat lodge to try and pray it out and all that sort of stuff which is something i had never done and then he took me to this woman uh known as the ghost woman and uh, i had never met her i'd never done any of that kind of stuff and um she read my tarot and it freaked her out and she gave me a poem to read, uh, a prayer to read and to keep with me in my wallet and by my bed. Um, and to say again and again to protect the house uh, and, you know, the occupants and myself from things that were drawn to me, to quote Alex Simmons again. Um, and you can choose to believe it or not. <laughs> It was where my my mind was, deep into the writing of it. So truth is stranger than fiction, and then you can make the fiction stranger. Um, So, yeah, that was really weird. And, you know, I got through it. You know, when you get through it, you know, it becomes more of a a book. The more you write it, the more you read it, and all that sort of stuff. And... um, you know, the uh, good people around you remind you, hey, you got to get a grip on yourself. Um, yep. So, yeah, you got to watch out and don't let the uh, story steal you <laughs> <laughs> while you're trying to get the story down. You know, um, again, literary history tells us that there are a number of writers of renown uh, going back, you know, centuries even, who had experiences or were going through things in their personal life that impacted tremendously on their work. You know, if you want to go, go back to Edgar Allan Poe or, or some of the others. Um, and it, the reality is, yes, life does that. You know, whatever you believe, whatever, and we're not talking about, you know, going into, you know, if you're a spiritualist or whatever, it's just reality. Life does impact on your creativity. And part of what we yeah. try to do as creators, because you know, this is my belief, and, and people that I respect have said this in various manners, various chosen words. We reflect life. We, we see things. Mm-hmm. We're sensitive to it. We're observing. We're absorbing. You know, we're hypersensitive to the world because that's what we reflect. That's what we represent when we go to create things. So we're pulling more in than folks who are going through their day-to-day sort of blocking out stuff because I got to focus on the job. I got to focus on the kids. I got to focus on whatever it is that I'm doing. And, you know, I, I, at five o'clock, I leave the job. I go to the, t- the bar for a while. I go do this. I go bowling. What You know, they, they have a routine and they're locked into that routine and they're not open as much to the world as we are. And that's that's a toll that we pay. But it's not a bad thing that we are so observant and absorbent. Uh, what it is, is understanding what we're taking in, how we're processing it, uh, you know, in terms of the filter of who we are as people, and then what we tend right. 
to want to produce as creatives. I have, I love mystery. I've always loved mystery since I was a kid. I was always fascinated by trying to figure them out. Subsequently, it's one of the things I do. Second to that, uh, as a child, enjoying entertainment, I loved to watch the hero westerns that I did as a kid. I don't think I thought so much about wanting to be a cowboy, except maybe being the Lone Ranger in Tonto. Either one would be cool. Um, but then the other thing that I enjoyed almost as much as mystery was science fiction. You know, traveling to space, meeting new creatures, things like that. Now, did I ever get to do that? No, not yet. But I could get on a bus or a train and go to a new neighborhood or get on a plane and go to a new country and meet people and experience things that were beyond or not a part of my normal every day. And so in some ways that spoke to the kind of person that I am, which might explain why I either like science fiction or vice versa. So we need to take a look at what we take in for the joy and the pleasure of being who we are and breathing, and then what we take in and how we process things that we're using as research material for the kind of story. Yeah. You were, you for well, a time as a, as a reporter, you were writing about the crack wars in, in the yeah. you know, yeah. and spoke, you, you know, on many of the episodes, folks, you know, Chris has brought up it from time to time the impact of what he was seeing, how that affected him, and how you made a particular career choice. Oh, yeah. Some of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was... We were running body counts on the teaser box, middle teaser box on the front page. It was average was 12 dead, 27 wounded. And no matter what we did, uh, who we reported on, what, you know, and... It, it was pre-Breton, so there was seemed to be no end in sight and all that sort of stuff. And at a certain point, I thought, all right, I'm not being effective here. And, uh, yeah, I did uh, toy with the idea of joining the family business. I have a lot of cops in my family. And I took the test, no problem. Passed the physical. Yeah, I know, surprise, but yes, I did. <laughs> um, uh, the psych was no problem, and uh, they offered me the job. And they said, we'll contact you for the next class. And um, that was when I got uh, challenged to go into a classroom. And I thought that would be a great way to you know, bring in some cash and write an expose on how schools suck. And 30 years later, I'm still teaching. So guess who won the bet? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I, I, I would. Way, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that you, you know, you you won the bet actually, and I would say a lot of people have 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 you to thank for their wins. You know, not not all of their wins, but certainly for helping them move in the direction that made those wins possible. Well, I want to talk to you about something else again, letting your life uh, influence you, and you have to do this carefully. But I'm okay. gonna get something while I'm talking to you. So, so he's, he's um, standing up, people, and moving around the volume of books that he has in his room. <laughs> That's for those who yeah, don't have a visual yeah. here. It's a crazy amount of books in here. But um, so City of Woe was written and ready to go, and it's still, there was something bothering me about it and all that sort of stuff. And um, it was right after um, my father had died. Ah. And um, I, you know, you go through the morning, you know. Of course you do. So that was something that um, that I was processing, and uh, we did, and all that stuff. And um, I'm almost there here. Um, You're looking for a, a section in the book, a particular passage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that might be accurate. So only. Um, so it wouldn't let me go. Right. It wouldn't let me go. Um, I had we had I had experienced every aspect of the passing and all that sort of stuff. So I, there was a, something that the family was together for, and I asked them. I said, "Listen, this is. I feel strongly that some uh, things that happened uh, in Pop's last days um, need to be part of the book." And I thought I wouldn't do that without your your blessing. And they all did. And with work and all that sort of stuff, um, 
I blended it into the book. And it really, the book became what, what it was meant to be, I think. Mm. And one of the things that uh, happened is we're at the crucial point of the investigation. And Mallory's sister Maggie calls for his help. The father is in desperate condition. They bring him down and all this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's as far down as Mallory goes uh, into hell, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. the isolation and the desperation of hell. And, um, well, if you want, I can read the section. I think you should, because you went through the process of looking for it. You got it in your hands there. I think you should definitely share it. It's going to take a couple minutes. All right, so... This is from an earlier draft of City of Woe. We've been working on it, so here we go. Mallory woke with a start. Had he been out for seconds or hours? He glanced at Pop's bed. It was empty. This is, Bob, this is Pop's hospital bed. He's mm-hmm. sitting with him for the evening. Mallory leapt to his feet, immediately rushing to his father, who was standing beside the bed, engulfed in wires and tubes and trying to walk away. Pop, what are you doing? I, I gotta go. Pop, you're gonna pull all these tubes out. Let's get back in the bed. Gotta go. Pop was reaching for something. Mallory followed the general direction of his outstretched hand. Pop wanted the urine container. Mallory took Pop's wrist gently, wrist gently, guided it to the container's hand. Pop, you can do that in bed. Men stand. He took the container and turned his back to Mallory, who also stepped back to allow Pop his dignity. Pulling Pop's elbow to help steady him, Mallory waited patiently, glad nature's call was the only thing with which she had to contend. Pop put the container back on the side table, stood fixing his hospital gown, and without warning, he grew more unsteady, heavier in Mallory's grip, grasp. His knees began to buckle, and his weight was suddenly almost too much to handle. Mallory stepped around, bracing himself, holding his father with both arms now awkward, off balance, not in position to maneuver easily. Then he saw that Pop had taken off his oxygen mask. Mm. The machines kicked in, alarms beeping, lights bouncing, none of which Mallory understood. All he knew was Pop was in trouble. All 220 pounds of his father collapsed, threatening to take Mallory with him. Straining back muscles, screaming, pulling his father around as he fell, unable to do more than aim him at the bed. Pop's angle land, Pop landed on an angle, his legs dangling off, arms beginning to flail. Mallory reached over and placed the mask back on it over his Pop's nose and mouth. It didn't seem to help. He couldn't catch his breath. He was dying. Calm spread over Mallory. The nurse call button was at in his hand. He pressed. The male voice came on. Can I help you? I need help with my father. He, he removed his oxygen mask. His breath was erratic, labored. The machines were reacting strongly. Male nurse Victor was there before Mallory became aware that he had stopped talking. Younger than Mallory, thin, dark, blonde hair, glasses with a calming, confident demeanor. He eased the day's sun back and stepped in. Another nurse, short, round, dark, with a calming grace, joined Victor. They called out readings, retrieved equipment they needed, and adjusted dials, got popped back into bed completely, gave him a shot of something with a long medicinal name Mallory couldn't catch. The first nurse glanced at him. They're having trouble getting your father's numbers where we want them to be. Watch the number on this machine. Numbers to be in the eight Mallory watched 65 his voice, but it is stabilizing. 
and that's half the battle. 72, 76, 72, 72. Give it another minute or two. Victor was barely whispering, but the clarity of his voice brought Mallory back to himself. He could sense he was standing, to his surprise, in a corner, having backed awkwardly out of the way. He exhaled, exhaled for what seemed like the first time in minutes. Felt shock at the intake of new air. 72, 72, 72. It isn't getting any better. Just smile. Yes, but it's not getting any worse. I'm seeing this as a glass half full because your father is stabilized now. So we can do this. Reach over Pop's head. Turned a valve on the oxygen machine. Slowly and just a little. 72, 72. 74, 76, 76. Victor turned the valve a little more, seemed surprised, then tried again. The valve wouldn't budge. It was fully open. 76, 76, 76. The good news is his numbers are closer to where we want them to be, he said. And the bad news? Your father is now breathing 100% pure oxygen, and we can only get him up to 76. Bottom line is he needs to keep that oxygen mask on. He cannot take it off. Victor adjusted the mask, checked the machine readouts, and pulled the covers back over Mallory's father. Pop, unconscious, began to pick at the blanket again. This seemed to freeze Victor for a moment. He glanced quickly at Mallory and left, saying as he exited that he'd be right down the hall all night. Mallory sat motionless, eyes fixed on the machine. Pop's labored breathing was the only sound he could hear. 76, 76, 76. Wow. The... When life imitates art or life inspires art, you know, you have to be very careful because, you know, you have to pick and choose the moments. But I think I could make an argument that that moment there, you know, you can justify it being in the book. This editor uh, wanted to know why this whole section was in the book. She says, she says you know, it's stops the forward progress. I said, that's a conscious choice. They are going through hell, you know, and it is about how we make life hell for each other. And what would be, when he's on the hunt, what would be the worst possible thing? What would be the most isolating thing? And then life told me, here's your experience of it and um yeah you know it was uh that and a few other there was there was a um there was another supernatural element to pop's actual experience too uh then he made it through that night and the nurse that came in or the doctor that came in the very first of morning light uh, so they look at him and said, look, if you have people, call them. You know, that little picking he was doing at the blanket, that's a preparational thing that some patients do, making sure everything is neat and prepared for, you know, exit. And uh, we did, and we brought everybody in, you know, all that sort of stuff. I called everybody, you know, and... Uh, he kind of rev revived before they showed up, and it was, you know, everybody came in, brought in, you know, the two things he loved in the morning more than anything else, a daily news and a cup of coffee. He made sure mom wasn't uh, around, and he had some of that coffee <laughs> that he wasn't supposed to. So uh, throughout the day, everyone's there, you know, visiting with him and every once in a while he would ask he would point up to this nature scene this picture you know 
hospitals have little paintings there to ease you. And uh, his was a field. So he'd say, well, what do you see there? You know, and everyone would say, well, I see the grass, I see the blue sky or whatever. And he asked 12 people that day, you know, uh, visitation limitations were off for our family. Uh, <laughs> so finally, his, his sister, my Aunt Rita, one of the absolute best Bronx Irish storytellers ever, you know, couldn't help but laugh when she talked. But she turned around and she says, well, look, Barney, what do you see there? You know, so he says, I see my father. I see my mother. I see my sister. But Rita's sitting right here. Says no. See Marguerite. Looks at Rita. She says, "Yeah, we had another sister. Brought her home from the hospital. I don't remember right now. I think it was three or eight days." that she survived and she died. So we look at her and we say, Pop, you see a baby? He starts to tear up. He says, no, she's all grown up. And she's beautiful. I had to put that in the book. Because if this book is about negative spirits, affecting us. Well, that's an example, a clear example of positive spirits coming to welcome us. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't asking for it. Life presented. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when that happens, it's appropriate to use it. And to embrace it. And to embrace it. I know we've gotten... You know, we've gotten very real here uh, today, and I I wanted us to. Uh, you gave us a little more than I expected, but I thank you for that. Because, again, Chris and I and, and many of the people that we respect, they go to these places. You know, I'm, just, I'm not just talking about tragic places. We, we go to these genuine places, these experiences, in order to... To be alive, for one, to mm-hmm. uh, to acknowledge that this is life, you know, the, the highs and lows of it, and absolutely what you just said, you know, for for all the negativity that's out there, there is so much positive light. And if you're telling a story, and I, you know, I've even talked to my kids about this, you know, the stuff you watch, there's a lot of shows on right now, a lot of shows on right now, they're very very edgy very tense, very dark, you know, or very negative or, you know, any number of kind of intense grating at you and saying life is intense or life is difficult or life is seedy or life is, you know, or life is is confusing and fractured. And and yeah, that's out there. But we, we should not ignore the other end of it, the other side of it, the brighter side of it. There is night and there is day, and that is the reality of, of the life we live. And as creatives, and I said this when I was in Russia, too, to, uh, to a, a, I was speaking at an event, uh, what we put out there through our work impacts on other people. You know, so if, if you are, yeah, if you are taking in positive and the negative, it will reflect in your work and that will go out and impact on people. If you are taking in only negative, or as I like to say, if you are suckling on the bile only and you put that out there, that will also impact on people. Yeah. You know, and I think well, it's the feast, right? It's, yeah. It's the feast. You have to go yeah. for it all. Yeah. And so, you know, to go back to the, to, for me to go back to the theme of this episode, which was the process, the creative process in the wake or sometimes the tsunami of life, um, is you take as much as, of it as you can. You, you, you give yourself permission to stumble and fall. You give yourself permission to rise. You give yourself permission to have an hour or two where the ideas and the words are just flowing from you, gushing out. 
But you also give yourself permission to have difficulty where within that hour you only produce a paragraph. You give yourself permission to keep moving forward. And if it helps you, because you know, you, we, we've talked about, and Chris has detailed this, you know, uh, intensely at one time, there's planners and pantsers, is, you know. Uh, if you're a pantser, you know, and you're gonna write to see what happens, okay, keep giving yourself permission to just do, to just let it suck, to just put it out there, to just drop it, to skip a scene if you're writing in sequence, skip a scene. If the other scene, you know, what might be 50 pages down is the thing that's talking to you, drop that onto the page or put that onto the digital screen, whatever. Just give yourself permission to go where that is. And if you're a planner, well, you've given yourself a roadmap. You can do the same thing. You can keep moving, you know, in, a, in some sort of a sequential way and just give yourself permission. Or you can, you know what, I'm going to take this side trip here. I'm going to go 30 miles ahead on this fictional trip and I'm going to write this scene because it's talking to me right now. And then even in, t in that, if you can't write the descriptions, if you don't know the area yet or you don't see it yet in your head, write the dialogue, you know. But you can put something down on the page or put something onto the screen every day that you give yourself permission to do that. And that's a part of it, giving yourself whatever the markers are that help you move forward, even you know, that 1% even, every day. So that you eventually get to stand there, as I did all those years ago, and look at 350 or 60 some odd pages that months before I thought I couldn't do. Right. Suddenly, it's, it's accrued, and there it is in my hand. I'm not even judging whether or not it's great, brilliant. I haven't looked at, I haven't looked at all the spelling mistakes and all that, but I did it. The story was in my hands. 300 and some odd pages. That's a big moment. Mm-hmm. That's a big moment. And you I can do the rest of it afterwards, but yeah, getting to that moment is everything. I, I, I want to acknowledge you for sharing what you just did regarding your dad and all that, because that is that is that is really opening up to not only the life experience, but then giving yourself the task of portraying that intensity through fictional characters, sharing that piece of you with your readers through these characters. Uh, you know, that, that is also a part of the creative process. I believe it's it about connecting, you know, completing the circle. You put it out there, you have to give yourself something to grab onto. So, yeah. and otherwise, you, know, you try and do it as best you can. Yeah, otherwise you can't do what, sir? Tell the damn story. <laughs> uh, wow, I love this man. Chris and everybody. It's all beautiful, ladies and gentlemen. It's all beautiful. Yeah, it is. And, and, and trust me, it is all worthwhile, either for us as individuals or for us as those who serve art forms in some way to others. You know, we, we either distract them from something that's yeah. oh, we are maybe we educate them, or maybe we just let them know you're not alone. True, true, true. So put push forward, folks, and continue to tell your story. And Chris and I will most certainly be doing that as we move forward, because we don't know how to do nothing else, man. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you that, brother. Yeah, you take yeah, care. Give my best to the goddess and the boys. Right back at should be you and yours. You and got to it. everybody out there. You know how I like to end it. Peace.